Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations, and joining me today is Jill Cross, Dean of Curriculum and Instruction. If you've been listening to our podcast, you've probably heard Jill's name mentioned numerous times during our PadreCast episodes. She's the driving force behind many of our major initiatives like BYOD, curriculum mapping, professional development, and much more. She's always on the go, practicing what she preaches, attending and presenting at a number of different conferences, and I'm grateful she was able to fit this interview into her busy schedule and join me today and talk in depth about what's happening behind the scenes in TMI's curriculum and instruction. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Jill, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm excited to talk with you today. Well, you joined the TMI community last school year during the summer of 2017, and you bring years of experience and a wide variety of skill sets to our school and your position here. You are a nationally board certified teacher who's been in education for over 15 years, named a 2016 ASCD Emerging Leader, and are a recognized ASCD Influence Leader and Colonial Williamsburg Master Teacher. You earned your bachelor's degree in English language and literature from the University of South Florida and then later completed your master's in museum studies at the Johns Hopkins University. Why don't you start by giving us a brief overview of the journey that took you from South Florida into museum studies and then focusing on education and curriculum and finally here to TMI. Yeah, sure. So I uh, graduated from the University of South Florida uh, in 2000, and my degree was in English and Humanities, and so my uh, my options were a little limited, and I knew I wanted to go to grad school. So I started teaching uh, at a private school in my hometown, and I was an art assistant, and I found that I really loved uh, interacting with students. I really loved the classroom, and uh, so I decided that that was kind of the career path I wanted to take. I started uh, the next year at a, at a private Catholic school, Uh, in the inner city of Jacksonville, which was a really trying experience, uh, but I learned a lot about teaching and I really feel like that year kind of made me the teacher that I am today. Uh, The following year I went into public schools because I knew that public schools would afford me the opportunity for more professional development and coaching, and I knew that I needed that to grow as a professional. And so I moved to another inner inner city school uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, and I worked there teaching fifth and second grade Uh, for uh, probably about five years. I took a year off with my son, uh, ended up at at another uh, public school in Duval County, Florida, uh, and was the magnet lead. And so during that time, we had a magnet program that we couldn't sell. It was called an academic enrichment. And I heard about museum schools from uh, a magnet meeting. And uh, with my background in humanities, I thought that was right up my alley. And uh, so it was something I, I really wanted to pursue. And went straight to the school board and convinced them that that was how we need the route we needed to take. And uh, so we wrote a Department of Education grant and I received the $1.3 million over the course of four years to change the school from an academic enrichment magnet to a museum studies magnet. And when that happened, I came out of my role as a classroom teacher at the time I was teaching second grade. And uh, so I became the curriculum integration specialist. And so I built the program from the ground up. And that's where I learned a lot about curriculum mapping, uh, professional development, uh, grant writing, 
So uh, I, I did that for four years until the grant funding ran out and then chose to go to a charter school for a little while uh, because I wasn't sure where I was going to end up in the system in public schools. And I worked as a middle school social studies teacher for a little bit, which I love doing. I brought my museum learning strategies with me to that job. Uh, and uh, the following probably two years there, I, I my family ended up moving. And so uh, I took a job at an independent school in the panhandle of Florida. And I was the director of teaching and learning there for two years and uh, worked with teachers on curriculum alignment, on uh, professional development, teacher coaching. Uh, and it was a great experience and uh, really found that I loved independent schools. Uh, I love the autonomy of independent schools. I love the atmosphere. I'm a product of private schools. And so uh, when uh, that job kind of ended, I decided to kind of spread my wings and see what happened and ended up here at TMI, which was a great decision for me and my family. Uh, and so this role uh really allows me to do exactly what I'm, I, I love to do, which is working with mm -hmm. teachers and working with curriculum and professional development. And so I'm super grateful to be here. And I really feel like all of the experiences from the museum school to the public school to working in other, another independent school has really prepared me for uh, all of the initiatives and all of the work that we do here at TMI. Mm -hmm. It does. When did you actually fall in love with the curriculum mapping? Because you've gone back and forth from teaching to working with curriculum and setting up the magnet school and back to teaching again and then back to curriculum. But I know you really have a passion for professional development. So tell me when you really developed that and why. So when I was at the museum school and I came out of the role from a classroom teacher to curriculum integration specialist, I really had no idea how to do curriculum mapping. And so uh, I was largely self-taught at the time, although we, we did have some money for professional development for that. But as, as we worked through the years and uh, we really worked to make our, our units of study cross-disciplinary so that every subject was integrated in, into a museum unit. And uh, I really found that as I was working with teachers and we were planning with the end in mind and we were working with essential questions, those questions that, uh, those, that drive inquiry in the classroom, the questions that don't have one right answer, I really found that that was uh, you know, probably one of my favorite things to do, just planning backwards uh, trying to really be purposeful and thoughtful about what it is that we want our kids to walk away with at the end of a unit or a course and uh, really sort of nerded out over it. I, I, I love doing it. I love looking at curriculum maps and kind of seeing the big picture, how things play out with scope and sequence from 6 to 12 here at TMI and even beyond mm -hmm. uh, and, and how all of that helps to prepare our students for college and career. Well, like I said, you bring a ton of experience. I think that just shows how much um, and how lucky we are to have you here at TMI. So you've been pretty much going nonstop <laughs> since you got here. Um, you are actually in between a couple of conferences right now. You just, a couple of weeks ago, you were at an ASCD conference with one of our English teachers, Alice Bilbrey, where you both co-presented Planting Seeds, Growing Leaders, and you'll actually be presenting that again next week on November 13th as part of a, a webinar series for the Independent Curriculum Group. So can you tell us a little bit more about that presentation, what it is, and how you're able to incorporate that, what you present for it here at TMI? So one of my passions is really developing teacher leaders. And I think that teacher leaders are the driving force behind any kind of school change. 
And, uh, and, and so I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And I spend a lot of time trying to nurture those relationships that build uh, the future leaders as teachers. And so last year, we were able to be part of Teach to Lead, which is a partnership between the Department of Ed and National Board uh, for Professional Teaching Standards and ASCD. And we went away. Uh, there were a group of five of us that we're able to sort of go on a retreat for the weekend and purposefully plan for what we wanted uh, innovation to look like here at TMI. And we had a critical friend and we had some dedicated time and the space to really dig into uh, that problem that we had here at TMI and how we could solve kind of bridging the gap between traditional and innovative. And we came back with a plan called Planting Seeds, Growing Leaders, uh, in which we were trying to spurn uh, some innovation through organic uh, kind of planting seeds. Mm -hmm. So uh, the idea that when one teacher starts to do something in the classroom, that sort of creates a buzz and other people hear about it and wonder what's going on and then maybe want to learn about it or try it. And so we've been really kind of playing around with that the last year and a half. And so... And, and, I, and I believe that a lot of the change that has happened as far as BYOD, some mm -hmm. of the changes in teaching practices uh, really are a result of some of those little seeds that we planted over the last year and a half. And so we thought that it was that model that we use at Teach to Lead of creating an action plan. And then uh, when we got back to school, all of the methods that we use as a team and that I use to help to nurture teacher growth, were, we thought that was something that other people would find interesting and maybe be able to take pieces of that back to their schools or districts. And so uh, Alice and I presented uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, at Texas ASCD, and uh, that was a huge success. And so uh, we spent time talking about the Teach to Lead process, about action planning. We gave time for participants to sort of self-reflect on how what the capacity is for teacher leadership in their institutions, uh, and then gave them some time to action plan. And we gave them examples of, of things that we've done here uh, you know, the way that we open our classrooms with hashtag observe me or the uh, all, all, all of the sort of impromptu PD sessions that some of our teachers offer, the PD bingo, uh, the teacher led professional development. And we gave those ideas as well. And so we're going to present a similar program uh, to ICG next week. That one, though, is go we're going to be able to include all of the members of our Teach to Lead. So that's great. Uh, and, and do sort of the same thing. Uh, this is for in, in the, the last presentation was more of a public school audience. And this upcoming presentation is more of uh, for independent schools. And so we really want to kind of uh, push them to think about what is how does teacher leadership look in their their schools? Uh, how can they they grow teacher leaders? And then also, how can we partner, uh, you know, teach to lead is uh, sponsored by the Department of Ed and National Board and ASCD, which are traditionally more public school institutions. So how can we sort of bridge the gap between independent schools and public schools and work together since we're all kind of working towards the same goal mm -hmm. of, of educating lifelong learners? So Exactly. What a wonderful process that that presentation was able <laughs> to develop from. Very, very neat to see that year-long process and how it's come to fruition now. So you've been encouraging our faculty to both attend and present at conferences, and you've brought a number of different opportunities to them. Can you talk a little bit more about why conferences are so important and how it benefits what our teachers do in the classrooms? Right. So, uh, so if if we as educators are uh, working to kind of instill a love of learning in our students, then we also have to practice what we preach. 
And so professional development, conferences, visiting other schools, um, the internal professional development that we do here is, is part of that lifelong learning. Um, and as, as teachers, we want to be reflective uh, and responsive and pay attention to the trends that are happening nationally uh, in education, the new research that's out there related to education and, and how students learn best, uh, and the opportunities for partnerships that are also available. And so I'm a big believer in, in conferences because uh, they allow, you know, it, it is sometimes a challenge because we, as, you know, TMI, we're, we're sort of on an island here. And we have connections with independent school, other independent schools uh, through ISAS or through NAIS, so the national and local organizations for independent schools. But we don't have the benefit of, of sort of a district and where we're getting co constant professional development. And so... Uh, sometimes it, it, we can silo ourselves off here because we're not, we're not as in touch with what's happening. And so I really feel like part of my role is to make sure that we are in touch and that we are paying attention to what's happening and uh, that we are networking with other educators. And so conferences do that. Um, you, when you go to a conference, you're exposed to a lot of different ideas uh, and you get a sampling of, of all, all of those ideas, those trends, and you're able to come back and, and sort of think about them, choose what, what you think will work, work best for your classroom and your school and learn about them more. Uh, you also are, you have the opportunity to network with people from all over the country, talk through your, you know, the challenges that are common and, and learn from others on, on what solutions are out there, what other schools have done to solve common similar problems like scheduling or, you know, innovative course programming, things like that. And so uh, so I really strongly believe in just getting out there, whether it's through conferences or networking on Twitter or whatever it is, just getting out there and paying attention to what's happening. Uh, because, you know, we can learn a lot from other educators and, and we really should. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Uh, when it comes to education, so. What a great explanation. So let's talk a little bit more about the professional development um, and the different opportunities. As our community knows, one of the things we typically mention when we talk about the TMI fund is how it benefits professional development here at TMI. So of course, conferences certainly fall under the umbrella of professional development, but you've, in, you've introduced a number of on-campus professional development activities for our faculty. You mentioned the, the PD bingo earlier, uh, but you've done book tastings, lunch and learns, and a variety of other things. So can you talk more about the entire professional development program that you've been shaping here at TMI and the various offerings that our faculty have? Sure. So we have uh, kind of a few buckets that professional development falls into here. Uh, one is obviously those external opportunities, conferences, institutes, uh, school site visits. And then uh, we have uh, our internal professional development. And then we have also teacher coaching, which I would put in the bu in in a bucket of professional development as well. And so, as far as the internal professional development goes, uh, I really try. You know, we are always telling our faculty they need to differentiate in the classroom that our students have different learning styles, they have different needs. And the same applies for our, our teachers here. They don't all need the same thing. And so uh, what I've tried to, to, to do over the last year and a half is really provide a menu of options for teachers. So of course we still have some professional development that everyone needs to attend, that we all need to get on the same page about, uh, about whatever that topic is. But then uh, 
every teacher has their own needs. And uh, and so that menu allows them to kind of pick and choose what's what works best for them. And so uh, we have lunch and learns and coffee chats uh, every single month. And uh, those are informal opportunities for the teachers to come and learn about differentiation or project-based learning, uh, all of that. All of those topics are chosen based on feedback from the faculty. And then we have Tech Thursdays where we introduce uh, before school some new technology ideas, apps, programs, ways to integrate technology into the classroom. Uh, we have this year uh, the professional development bingo, which I'm really excited about. Uh, mm -hmm. Anytime you throw a prize in, in, into something, it makes it Gets exciting. Gets people's attention. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so they have uh, a lot of options on the PD bingo, but some of them are not your traditional, what you would normally think of as professional development. Some of the things on there are, you know, listen to a TED talk that has something to do with your content area or uh, redesign an assessment so that it's more performance based or uh, reflect on a lesson. Uh, and, and so things that are not the typical sit and get type of professional development. So that's been uh, really exciting. People are always coming to my office to get their bingo cards stamped. <laughs> uh, I've also worked uh, this year to, to give teachers more choice in what we do on our Tuesday mornings. And so this year we have uh, five pathways that teachers can choose from. Uh, differentiation, uh, formative assessment and feedback, teaching for the 21st century, classroom management and uh, rigorous instruction. And so the teachers were able to choose one of those tracks. They're gonna work in collaborative groups uh, five times over the course of the school year. Uh, and that allows them to really dig into one topic and, mm -hmm. and really fully understand it. And in between all those sessions where they're collaborating with their colleagues and learning from one another, they're able to apply what they've learned. And so that cycle of learning and then applying and then visit, revisiting that again, learning something new and applying uh, really is, I, I hope, is going to be very beneficial for the faculty and kind of help them. Not only did they have choice, but I think that uh, I'm hoping that it's going to provide some deeper learning for them. Do our faculty ever sleep? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure many of us do here. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Do they have a favorite activity? Is there any PD that you found they really have been drawn to? Yeah. One of the ones that's really popular uh, that we do, uh, we did once last year and we're going to do two this year, is teacher-led PD. Mm -hmm. And so two of, the, two of the Tuesday morning days, uh, you know, our faculty go off to conferences and institutes and, and summer programs. And so it's really important that when they come back, they're able to share that learning with the larger school community. And so uh, on, on those dates, we have uh, kind of choice-based PD again. And so, but those are all led by, by teachers. And so uh, teachers really love learning from other teachers because they understand the same challenges. They're in the thick of it. Um, they, you know, they're learning from their peers. And so those have been really popular because not only are we able to kind of expand the reach of our professional development uh, as far as what our teachers are doing outside of, of TMI, uh, but the teachers are able to learn from one another. I think that really highlights how important the late start is on Tuesdays for our faculty to be able to engage in these type of activities and really put to use everything they've been learning and share that. So. Right, yeah. So you've got a lot of irons in the fire here at TMI. Let's shift gears and talk about some of the other committees and initiatives that you're involved with. So you were instrumental in getting the BYOD here to our campus, and you're also, as you mentioned, leading a part of the Academic Technology Committee. Uh, can you talk more about the academic technology and what lies ahead for TMI, perhaps maybe the next phase in BYOD or plans for the classrooms? 
Right. So, uh, so last year, yeah, we we started with the the BYOD initiative, uh, and that was a, a, a pretty extensive process mm-hmm. last year. Planning for that, making sure that we that our teachers and our students and our and our families were fully prepared for that shift, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not only you know we don't we really do see the the laptops as just another tool like like a pencil or a piece of paper, and so it's really important that we're not just using the the laptops for what we've always you know substituting it for a worksheet, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that involved a lot of time and planning. We adopted a lot of new digital curriculum last year to go along with that so that uh, our faculty would have kind of the latest and greatest when it came to the curriculum and our students would have that interactive content. Uh, and so that, that has been a lot of time and energy put into that training for the teachers. Uh, it's been a little bit of an adjustment for our students. And so this, you know, and we also contracted with uh, Rich Kiker Consulting to, to come in and do some work with our faculty on why we should be paying attention to the use of technology in the classroom, why it's important for our students. And so really this year is just uh, continuing to work on all of that. Uh, we still still need time getting used to our digital curriculum. We still, uh, we're still not using uh, our laptops uh, as creatively as maybe we could. Mm -hmm. And so we're gonna spend a lot of time on that this year. Uh, Not only, you know, how can we, you know, if a student has mastered a a concept, whether or not they do uh, show their mastery on a piece of paper or a computer, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't matter. And so how does that look in the classroom and and really kind of helping the teachers to to figure that out. Uh, And so so this year we're gonna continue to work on that. I really see in the next few years, maybe an increased emphasis on on computer classes hopefully here at TMI on uh, programming uh, and then on sort of students using their uh, devices as creatively as possible uh, with audiences outside of of TMI so giving them an authentic audience and so that's what we're really going to work on the next year and a half I would say really just building that foundation continuing to to firm up that foundation on uh, on the best use of technology in the classroom for our students. That's very exciting. So we also have a strong emphasis on cross-curriculum instruction, encouraging our faculty to find ways to cultivate the cross-curriculum opportunities between what the, the classes that they teach. So can you talk a little more about some of the cross-curriculum uh, disciplinary work and innovative ideas our faculty are bringing into the classroom? Right, so uh, we know that students understanding is deepened when they get multiple opportunities to have exposure to uh, concepts and ideas and so uh, interdisciplinary work helps to facilitate that and so one of the ways that we're doing that in in middle school we uh, have really pushed an emphasis on uh, tying our english titles to what's happening in the history classes or even the science class uh, making sure that our teachers are, are planning together uh, all of those uh, field trips and all of those experiences that those middle school students have off campus. How are they tying back to our curriculum? Um, and, you know, for instance, we have coming up soon, our sixth graders have been reading Devil's Arithmetic in English class. They've been learning about the Fertile Crescent in history, and they're going to go and visit a synagogue, which ties into mm. our, our religion. And so, uh, so three disciplines there kind of woven into one. 
Um, and in upper school, we have uh, some of that happening as well. Uh, we have conversations happening about how we can integrate music with science. Uh, and we have uh, collaboration happening between English and history department. And so finding part of that process is, is as we go through curriculum mapping, finding the natural connections that we can capitalize on for those interdisciplinary opportunities so that our students can deepen their understanding. Well, and you, you just mentioned curriculum mapping. That's a phrase that we've been hearing quite a bit this year. Father Scott talked about it briefly at his Headmaster's Social the State of the School Address, and, and it's been on a couple of our other podcasts. We've mentioned curriculum mapping. So can you go into a little bit more detail and tell us what's been happening with the curriculum mapping process and what lies ahead for the next few years as we continue to develop and refine it? Right. So, uh, so we've been involved in a, a kind of major curriculum mapping project since I got here. Uh, and the goal of, you know, there's a couple goals with that. The first being that we are uh, articulating our curriculum 612 and that the scope and sequence, the developmental appropriateness of how students move through courses of study here makes sense. Um, it's also so that our teachers can see what their colleagues are doing and build upon those connections like I was just talking about. Uh, and it's also so that we can be transparent with our, uh, our families and, and our community about what it is that we do here. And, and so last year, uh, we really just were in the basic stages of that. And so teachers were mapping kind of, we call it diary mapping. So mapping what they're currently doing in the classroom in each course. So what students uh, at the end of a course will know and what they'll be able to do. And, uh, and so last year we got that done. We had some work uh, with Donnell Gregory who came in from ASCD to do, to do some work with us last January. This year, uh, we're taking those diary maps and starting to analyze them. And so in September, uh, we had Allie Rodman here from the Learning Loop and she worked with our faculty over the course of three days. And we crafted uh, what's called long-term transfer goals. Uh, and so for each content area. And so uh, long-term transfer goals are sort of the five or six main ideas that we want kids to, to walk away with uh, in a subject area when they leave here. So for instance, in math, we want them to persevere. We want them to be pr good problem solvers, things like that. So uh, those long-term transfer goals then we take and map backwards from. So we think about what are those essential questions that we want kids to answer? What courses are going to allow us to get to those long-term transfer goals? Uh, and so right now we're really in the process of analyzing do our knowledge and skills match up with what we want as our end product for our students? And looking for, do we have gaps or do we have overlaps? Do we have places where we were doing things a lot? And do we have some places where we're maybe not touching on something that we need to pay attention to? And then of course, how, does, how do our curriculum materials fit into all of that? So it's really heavy lifting. Uh, it, it takes a lot of time and energy to, to think like this uh, and be very strategic about that process uh, and, and really thoughtfully consider uh, what it is, you know, that we want our kids to walk away with. You know, what do we want them to remember 40 years from now when, they, when they're away from TMI? What do we want them to remember about their experience here? What a great process to have happening. It's very exciting. Yes. <laughs> You have so much knowledge, and it's been really exciting to hear all of the details behind what you've been doing. Is there anything else, anything I've missed that you want to share with our listeners? 
Uh, we have, so I, I would like to say, since I, I work with teachers uh, all the time, I just would really like to give a shout out to our teachers really quickly. Uh, we have some amazing faculty here and uh, they work so hard to, uh, to, to really reflect and refine their craft as educators. And so, uh, you know, I always wanna be an advocate for them and I'm always singing their praises. Uh, and so, yeah, I just kind of like to end on that note. Our teachers are awesome and amazing and um, I'm incredibly grateful to work with them, so. I second that, they are very, <laughs> they are very amazing. And you are too, so thank you thank so you. much. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me and visit today. Thanks, Stephanie. Join us again on Sunday as we bring you the audio from our Senior Chapel Talks this past week by Carolyn Vassar, Grant Kale, and George Ray. And be sure to listen next Thursday for our first Corps of Cadets Roundtable episode. We'll have our Commandant of Cadets, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Santiago Bueno, and Cadets Hassan Hassan, our Cadet Battalion Commander, and Juliana Martinez, our Cadet S2. Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www.tmi-sa.org.